Hello and welcome to this week's Cross the Bridge with the Artificial Hipsters. My name is Kieran Casey. And my name is Jim Corbett. So, Jim, how was your week? All right. Not any, bad. Uh, any moments to talk about? Uh, well, one, yeah, moment today actually was a great moment. Okay. Because um, I had to go and have one of my routine scans mm. um, in the hospital in Cork. Not mine. Never worked in this place, but the consultant sends me there uh, to get the scans done. And um, I've had trouble. People who've heard our earlier broadcasts or, or know me will know that I'm now described as a a long-term a, a, a cancer survivor on long-term treatment. Okay. And um, the treatment involves routine scans, the injections, uh, lots of tablets, and that's it. But luckily, I don't have to go and have the full um, chemo things. So anyway, uh, I had to scan this morning, and one of the problems is that I've had so many different injections, infusions, drips, God knows what, in my arms, that my veins have more or less given up the ghost. Okay. And the consultant, every now and again, I'll say to him, to Seamus, oh, God, they had terrible trouble getting the blood out again on Wednesday. And he said, oh, do you want a port? And a port is a, like a permanent installation they put. I think it goes into your chest, I think. But they it's a permanent uh, port, exactly what it says, that they Extracting can just inject, blood, in, yeah, well, take blood out, put drugs in, do anything like But to my mind, I know lots of people have had them, and they've included my sister. And she had terrible problems with them getting infected and blocked and God knows right. what. And I've always felt that was like a point of no return getting the mm. port put in. So I've always refused. Mm. But it means, of course, that uh, I just have to suffer whilst the uh, exponents of care in the health system find a vein. Without, yeah, find a vein. Mm. Uh, the record is seven attempts. Okay. Um, it's usually two or three. Well, today, the reason this is my moment is that I met a lovely uh, radio radiographer in the hospital. I think her name was Alice, and she got it in one. Wow. Straight. I didn't even feel the needle go in. Wow. Absolutely first class. So I gave her full congratulations. So that's my moment. That was yeah. saved me a lot of aggro. That's a lovely moment. Well done, Alice. Um my moment is brief, and it's a strange one. It it just is Liverpool winning yesterday 4-0 uh, when it never really looked like they were going to win, certainly not by that margin. But it just this time of the year, and when, you know, title titles are up for grabs, three points is more important than... Absolutely. Performance. So getting the three points was wonderful, albeit that uh, certainly in the first half, they were really poor Um but uh, yeah, it's good. And then they have a they have a semi final second leg with Fulham, and then a FA Cup game, and then I think it's Arsenal and Chelsea in the Premier League. So, oh, so you've got coming down the track. Um, uh, we're in a desert at the moment, Tottenham, and we're in the middle of a a, a sort of long holiday. Yeah, finish yeah. finish until Friday. Yeah, when they're in the FA Cup again. Yeah. So, so what, what what didn't go as well this week as you would like? What was your mom? My moan actually is it's an English thing, but there's um, a while ago there was a a new policy. It's, it's a long while ago now. I think it was it originated from Tony Blair's government, I think, and then the Tories picked it up later and have, have pushed it through a bit faster. But basically, it's setting up these um, academy type schools where you put a very strong leader in as head and you give them more resources, and they start, and they all, they emulate a lot of private school practices, actually, but they insist on good discipline and so on. And generally, one or two of them haven't come off too well, but most of them have done really well. Mm. And the most impressive one that I've ever come across is called the Michaela School, which is in Wembley in northwest London, near where the stadium is, of course. And it's not the... uh, it's not the wealthiest neighbourhood in the world. Mm. And this is a state school. 
it's not there's no there's no um money changes hands there's no selection by ability it's a state school right. anybody who lives in the area can apply to go in and mm. get in but they have to sign up to the codes of practice and um one of them is they don't do much in the way of religious observance um their general view uh is that uh, they are trying to create a community which owes its allegiance to each other right. and to the nation. Everything after that is a private matter for them and their families to pursue as right. they wish. And I, I must have a certain sympathy with that view. Hmm. Um, in France, of course, it's law. Yeah, you don't secular. have any, yeah. any yeah. Religious, religious anything in, yeah. uh, in schools. So anyway, the... Uh, woman who runs the school is called Catherine Burble Singh, and she's uh, obviously, from her name, she is of uh, originally uh, an ethnic uh, minority. I'm not quite sure where. Um, and she is fantastic. She's a brilliant teacher. She's published a couple of books which really do take some reading. Mm. And her basic philosophy comes from having worked in East End comprehensives, which sound like hell on earth, the way she describes them. And I know some of them are or have been. And so she decided to put forward this different approach. And when these these uh, academy schools came out, she, you know, set up a trust to, to, to run one, um, and they do. And it's been a wild success. This is multicultural, you know, multi-everything. Mm. Um, brilliant, fantastic results. Ofsted reports off the scale good, uh, you know, excellent after excellent after excellent, year after year after year. And that's fine. So she's obviously got something right. Um, and her staff, I think she'd be the first to say that her staff, of course, must take the alliance share of the blame. Mm. Blame, no, credit in this case. However, um, one, I don't know if it's, it's certainly a particular pupil. I don't know if it, she's he, she is representative of any others, but decided to create a fuss about not being able to do the morning prayers, the, the, the which Muslims have to do, or at different times during the day, mm. in the school. I mean, they were told they wouldn't break lessons for it. Uh, if she wanted to, then she could do it lunchtime in her own time somewhere. But um, but that was it. Well, all hell's breaking loose now about this, um, and there was a a brief demo at the school by a small number of pupils, which didn't go anywhere, of course. Um, but this little madam has decided to take Catherine Burble Singh and the school to court. Right. Um, a breach of some right or another. Um, and she's uh, being given legal aid to do so. And I think I was thinking, yeah, that's outrageous. Here is a school carrying out government policy where people fight to get into it, including presumably this particular girl's parents. Mm. Um, and she is now being funded by the state to carry out a legal challenge to all of that. And that seems to me to be so wrong, it's off the scale. Mm. Um, there are other things reported about this uh, young lady in the press. Uh, which are pretty hair raising if they're true, but I don't. I won't say what they are because I, I don't know, have any personal knowledge of her or her history. Right. So my main moan there is that I don't see why public money is being used to launch uh, a legal case against an established school which is doing extremely well with a first-rate headmaster, head teacher. And uh, which is fulfilling government policy in its entirety, as well as providing an absolutely stellar education for ordinary mm. kids in an ordinary area. Um, I think it's outrageous. So that's and, my mind. And the public money is the free legal aid. Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, I hadn't heard of it. 
I wasn't aware of it. No, well, I think it's not the sort of thing that would make it to Ireland as a as a story because it's yeah. I mean, it's in all the papers over here. Well, I say over here in England, but it's yeah. not uh, it's not an Irish story. Yeah, but there's a moral there anyway that would apply in Ireland. Yeah, but presumably if they signed up for the code of you know behavior yeah. as part of signing up for the school, then they signed up for the fact that there will be no absolutely time in the curriculum for religion. Anyway, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. It does. Um, good. So um, my moan is I have a... a no, you've had your moan. No, I haven't. That was my moment was Liverpool. Oh, was it? Oh, even yeah. though you said they played dreadfully. It was an element of a moan in there. I was going to combine the moan and the moment. Oh, but I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm smothering with a cold, which I'm oh, going to describe as a boomerang cold because... I, I wake up a couple of mornings and feel that's it, that's it, gone. And then literally two days later, it comes back. <laughs> now, it's not wiping me out completely, no. but just irritating, isn't it? It's really... Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, and I think it's around a lot. Uh, I've, I have, I've had one as well. I have Lemsip, and I uh, had an interesting experience in the pharmacist, local pharmacist here, where I asked for Nurofen Plus. Oh, yes. And they were very very questioning as to, yeah they would be uh how I, I never <laughs> now i i don't use medication that much but i was i was i don't know maybe i was pleasantly surprised that there, there was that level of uh yeah you have to be i mean neurofen ordinary is okay although you don't want to overdose mm. on it but um i think sort of codeine in it, it has codeine she said that's why that's why Let's get into our main topic of this pod. Mm. And there's a number of ways of framing it. But given that a couple of weeks ago, we start talking about this being a big election year. Um, and during that conversations, and during a lot of our podcasts, we make reference to the media, don't we? We certainly do. And um, to keep this broad in terms of its context, um, if we are to live in a democracy, then... People have to have the facts and the information, accurate information, so that they can make up their minds on who to vote for in in, in a very simplistic way. That's the way our democracy Absolutely. works. Um, however, if we are not getting access, access to these facts or if what's being presented is, to us is somewhat biased or prejudiced or has an editorial slant to it, then it it threatens our democracy, doesn't it? It does. Um, it does. So, what what's to be done about this? And maybe you've got one or two examples. I think that. You're... Well, I've got I've got a couple of things actually to okay. to add into the mix. The first one is that there's been a lot of um, criticism, not not universal criticism probably, but a lot of criticism about the the even handedness of the BBC. Um, this is a criticism I think could also be extended to RTE, but it doesn't seem to worry people in Ireland so much. So um, I, I expect it doesn't actually apply, although it might do soon for mm. reasons we can come to. But I think, um, give you an example, the BBC is in a very special position. Uh, it is judge, it's investigator, judge and jury in its own case with regard to any... Uh, allegations of or complaints um, about its uh, what's the word I'm searching for? Integrity. No, even-handedness is what I mean. But anyway, journalistic integrity. Yeah, impartiality. Um, yeah, impartiality. That's the one. I knew I'd get there in the end, or rather, you would. Um, yeah. So, and in particular, a lot of complaints have been made about the BBC. Now it transpires that from the BBC's own sources, over the last, I can't remember how long it is, but it's years, a number of years, I don't, I don't think it's very many years, two or three perhaps, they've received something like 10,000-plus complaints wow. about, about their impartiality. Is this on news reporting or current affairs? Yeah. In that yeah. Yeah. Yes, okay. mainly, yeah. And of those many thousands, 
only 67 have been found to be justified. Okay. Now, I find that imbalance suspicious. Yeah, what's the, where's the, isn't there a regulator in, in Ofcom? Or well, a... that's – I was going to come on to that because at the moment, no, um, except it's about to start, as I think the government's finally cracked and decided that it was time there was an independent regulator, principally for the BBC – um, because obviously that's a that's a state institution. It's funded by public money. So yes, Ofcom is now going to take over investigating and policing the uh, impartiality of the BBC. Now that might sound like bad news because I mean we don't I don't like the idea of you know people policing uh, a, a news organisation, but I think they brought it on themselves because. Their coverage of the uh, Gaza uh, war is, isn't it, um, has been notably bizarre, I think. Apart from the much-quoted um, Hamas, which is, which is said to be a terrorist organisation by the British government, as if everybody else doesn't call it that as well, including the UN and the EU and most other decent countries in the world, um, apparently, BBC takes no notice of that, um, but I think that's a that's a to some degree a minor point. But I think one of the things that comes out of of this is the as we've mentioned before that the um, the health ministry in Gaza is heavily run by and infiltrated by Hamas, uh, and for that reason a number of the statistics which come out of that ministry should be looked at with a certain caution, perhaps. I don't quite know where you'd go for any other information, Yeah, but that's their problem, not mine. Um, last night, we were treated to one of their main reporters saying um, something about, uh, oh, yes, the Hamas Ministry of Health, she actually called it that, has said X, Y, Z, so many thousand people were killed, full mm. stop. And that was left there as a statement of fact. Mm. It's not a statement of fact if it comes from a known source. If it came from, you know, UNESCO or someone, maybe. But it's a statement of fact that they said that. That's not how it was presented. Well, you said that the, the Hamas... Well, all right, yeah, so yes, it was, so it, it, it was they, their figures. Your issue is more that there's no qualification really given about whether these are figures that we can completely rely on. Yes, and I think what it comes to is that, and I mean, it's it's not the first time. I mean, there's these sorts of things have come up several times before in the BBC's <laughs> coverage and have been proven to be wrong, mm. and in some cases quite egregiously so, um, and not in a way that is is always repeated on the other channels. Sometimes it is. I mean, the reporting generally is not very good. But um, I think I think it's certainly the BBC seems to be the worst offender. The trouble is, you see, this creeps in. Let me – now I'm going to read you something now, which I looked up specially yesterday to make sure I got it right. Um, now, this is actually George Orwell said right. this. And he's talking about how uh, governments can influence um, opinion. And it said, every record has been destroyed or falsified. Every book has been rewritten. Every picture has been repainted. Every statue and street building has been renamed. Every date has been altered. And that process is continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped. Now, of course, that's from 1984. Hmm. Um, and he was talking about the way the government controlled things. But what hit me about that was that in our own society, where we find a number of pressure groups and interest groups and so on are sort of setting the agenda for lots of things, you can look at that list and you say every record has been destroyed or falsified. Every book has been repainted, rewritten. Every picture has been repainted. Every statue and street building has been renamed and every date has been altered. 
those are very real things that are happening, certainly in the UK and in America, mm. big time. And what worries me about this, and that's where the BBC's approach worries me, is that we are getting to a stage where there are a number of apparent truisms which are peddled by these various interest groups, uh, which are actually not true at all, but which we are required to believe. This all sounds dangerously totalitarian to me. Mm. Maybe I'm too touchy, but I'm very touchy when it comes to freedom of speech because in my um, experience, any restriction only leads to another restriction. And it really is critically important for the state of our democracy, and, okay, we've mentioned election year all over the place this year, that the state broadcaster in a democracy must be fully trustworthy and must not be playing these games with public perceptions of what things are or are not. It's only politics. People try and rub it all off what the sort of thing I'm saying now, which is based in a fervent belief in free speech, you know, a lot of people are going to write me off now as a right-wing dickhead. No, no. Uh, but, well, no. no, a lot of people would. Well, and and that my, my worry about that is that that's happening all the time now. Yeah. Someone who expresses a view yeah. which is not quite in line with the, uh, you know, the lingua franca of, of the left, usually. It's not always. Yeah. Um, is just, blacked, you know, written out of history because they're obviously a Nazi. Yeah, well, we 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 we've talked about this before. I know. That whole left right wing spectrum is almost pointless at this stage. But let me come back to the example you gave because I, I get your fundamental point. But what's interesting, which I always think is is um is the challenge with impartiality. Yeah, is that you're not impartial on the issue of Gaza and and no, I'm not. So. When you Very few people are, actually. True. So I, I've heard people saying that the BBC, who would be on the opposite side to you, who would say that the BBC are not uh, critical enough, yeah. and that the, the use of um, that sentence, which they nearly always use when they talk about Hamas, is yeah. as a, uh, an organisation that uh, the British government deems to be terrorists. I can't remember the sentence, but you, you, like you, you know what I'm talking about. Um, that constant, you know, repeating of that message, um, almost then uh, discredits uh, Hamas, and therefore would discredit the Hamas Department of Health or whoever comes out with these figures. So, when we're trying to look for impartiality, the first place we have to start with is ourselves, because it's very. Well, hang on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You said you said it discredits Hamas. Well, my first reaction is he's good. But well, would, you suge- uh, would you suggest that I, you know, I, I have no problem. the Nazi I've, Minister Ministry of Health shouldn't I, uh, have been discredited? I know. Again, I have no problem with that. With, with um, Hamas being discredited, I have no time. And I think in our conversations before, no, absolutely, I've said I'm not a Hamas supporter. No, I've, no, um, no, I know that. So I'm I'm absolutely clear on that, and you know that my position is that I think that that Israel are doing things there that are immoral and wrong, and that they shouldn't be given a green light by the rest of the the West in in the way in which they're being supported. But look, we're not going down into that. What what no. what happens though is that when we listen to other people talk about it, and we're very carefully honing in on the language that we use because we carry an impartiality. Sorry, we don't carry an impartiality into the discussion. We are heightened towards things that we feel are not lining up with our our position, and and sometimes then we're heightened in the way that things that do line yes, up. Yes, I mean I, I can accept that that's that's the case. Um, it's, it shouldn't be the case for the BBC though. So they, so need, to, I, they I, need to be held to a higher standard. I agree. So how does how does an organisation like the BBC? RTE, and to be perfectly honest with you, there is a a onus on all media outlets to report in a non-prejudice, you know, absolutely yeah. independent, you know, with with journalistic integrity. Well, look at look at the, the on the Irish front. I think um, the things which are sort of starting to happen a bit 
on the migrant front in Ireland are very concerning. Mm. You know, there's a, you know, been a number of now of arson attacks on uh, migrant hostels uh, and other forms of attacks as well. There's been yeah. some nasty demonstrations. But I was watching on the uh, – now, I've got, I, I hold no truck with uh, people who – who don't want the migrants or don't want them to uh, remain. Um, but there was a report on RT last week on on the the business in Ross Cray, which yeah. is this yeah. appallingly named place, the Racket Hotel, um, which they've been using or intended to use anyway mm. uh, for migrants. And there was a demo. Mm. And people often say, oh, well, you know, it's all the right-wing hate mob come out. Well, they did not look like right-wing haters to me. I no. mean, I've, I've, I've gone toe-to-toe with some of those people in the past, mm. and uh, these looked like local residents, yeah, Mum, mums and dads, <laughs> kids and so on. And I thought, hang on a minute, I think I'm getting a bit worried now that there's a disconnect, there might be a disconnect, between a significant chunk of the population of Ireland and what the government is trying to do, and that in practice, that's where RTE could get burnt, yeah, depending it, on which line they take. It's very interesting, and and that that story last week was very interesting. And I I think like you, I felt that there, there were a lot of people there who were trying to make the case. Look, Ross Gray has taken in six hundred. Immigrants in recent this is this is our only hotel. We've no more hotel in the yeah. town. Um and I think a lot came with a, a reasonable position. And it must be so frustrating. And you must it must be so condescending to hear people say that they're being manipulated by the far right. Mm. You know, that must really boil your blood if you're well, certainly boil mine protesting against something <clears throat> that you feel is is you you feel you're adopting a reasonable position. I, the media. Funny, I watched Sorty. There was I had one criticism early in the morning. Can't remember what morning it was. They were interviewing people who'd stayed up, uh, in the the picket overnight. Yeah. And RT journalist asked somebody their name, and he gave his name. I think it was Brendan, and he asked him very specifically for his surname. Now I could have completely misinterpreted that, but I kind of felt it was almost a challenge to the individual. Are you prepared to say your full name? on this mm. and almost say, uh, you know, are you one of these people that's going to say things and 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 demonstrate, but really not want to be seen or known uh, as a demonstrator? And I could be, I could be completely missing the point, but I just felt there was even the tone of the questioning and um, there was a, a disgust of, of, of these people yeah. uh, who, who <clears throat> in fairness, I would, I would challenge anybody. I would challenge absolutely anybody. You know, one thing we need in the world is empathy and compassion. If and, and that absolutely applies to the people who are coming into our country, um, who are fleeing terrible situations and things in their life. But we also have to have empathy and compassion of the people of the areas that we're bringing these people into. And uh, I would challenge anybody. There, there seems to be a little bit, not just a, not just a a disconnect between government policy and areas of the country. I think there's a little bit of a, a uh, rural s- s- Dublin, maybe Dublin, yeah, rural maybe. divide. And some of that sort of liberal mindset that is in Dublin and leafy parts of Dublin, where they know there's no question there's going to be anybody coming into their areas or their neighbourhoods uh, in the way that that is happening around the country. Now, I'm not condoning any of this arson attacks on these buildings, or, or of course not. There are extremists in there, but there's there's well-meaning people, I think. Yeah. Who I mean, look, look, we're, we're, I, I live in uh, in a, one of the better off suburbs of the city of Cork, Montanotti. Montanotti, and there are at least two places I know of where they have got uh, mm. brought migrants mm. in, and look, you know. You wouldn't know it, frankly, mm. most of the time. Occasionally, you see them traipsing up and down to the shops, but that's about it. Yeah. Now, I think the I think the worry comes with this is this, there are a lot of very ill-informed rumours that get started. Yeah, I could think of one in particular. 
nearby, which was going to be, oh, you know that place over there? Oh, that's going to be full of migrants by the end of the week. Absolute, yeah. absolute codswallop. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't and it isn't, and that's all there is to it. Yeah. Um, and so people, I think people are afraid. I think people are afraid of what might happen. Yeah. What I can, you know, a lot of people ask sometimes with some justification, I think, when you see people coming and showing their little rubber boats, how often is it teenage and, and young adult men mm. who seem to be in those boats? Now, I'm sure that's not invariably the case. And the, one, the, the migrant people I see who are in the hostel down the road, are invariably family groups. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that's fine. Yeah, I, I, I do blame the government in Ireland and 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 in England as well. I think although they've got completely different approaches to this, but a, the English government is trying to do something to address the the core issue of the effectively the people trafficking. I think they've gone about it in an appalling way. The Randa scheme is a joke, and they should never have started it. Yeah, but the Irish government is doing an ostrich job on it, mm. just sticking the head in the sand. Migrants get moved into a new place at three o'clock in the morning by the guard, so nobody knows it until they're there. Yeah, um, and things like that. And I think the government is being really um, disingenuous about this. Yeah. They have to recognise that in a small town, Ross Gray is a small town. Mm. There's not so many jobs flying around that you can afford to have several hundred young, fit men brought in and, and their families as well, of course, um, to uh, to start looking for jobs. See, you haven't you haven't got loads of people in in in, in schools. You've got enough places in schools, yeah. and then you've got. I mean, it's everything. Yeah. It's everything. Of course, Gentle you've got to. Yeah. Where you get? I mean, I can't remember the numbers of. People who've come into Ireland, I think it's about 50,000, isn't it, overall? No, it's 100,000 Ukrainians. 100,000 okay, Ukrainians right. come in. So let's just take that, right? Mm. 100,000 Ukrainians came in, fine. Mm. Well, you know, that's 100 schools. Well, it's not because it won't be 100,000 kids. Mm. Well, it could be because you don't know how many of them. Say, say 40,000 uh, kids. That's 40 schools worth. Yeah. No, no, so, no, look, it's put a lot of pressure on services that were already under pressure. Particularly yeah, in areas of Ireland. So if I was a local citizen in one of those towns and I already uh, complaining and struggling to get access to basic services like, you know, GPs, dentists, um, school, school transportation, um, you know, in, in still holding on to trying to be empathetic and compassionate, I'd still have a yes. right to stand up and say, hang on a second, are we doing this in a balanced and fair way? Why isn't there more consultation? And then I would be so infuriated if, if it was suggested that I was being manipulated by the far right. But bring this back. I think that's government. I agree with you. I think fundamentally I would lay the blame for this on, on the door of the government. What role do you think the media is playing in this that is either good, bad or indifferent? The good bit, I think, is that they're trying not to overstate any issues of violence even though there there been a bit of an increasing trend in that direction in recent weeks, but hopefully that's going to stop. Um, so I think that's the thing they've done well. Most of what they've done I would be indifferent about, but I think they are um, playing this, oh, it's all right-wingers card, much too much, and I think that's what they're getting wrong. Mm. They're, they're definitely failing to pick up on mm. Well, I wouldn't put, you know, I would say most people would have some sort of concern that an influx of a significant number of others yeah. uh, into their community would put strains on that community, all the things that we've mentioned, schools, doctors, yeah. jobs, the lot. Yeah. And that's a legitimate concern that people yeah. would have. And the, and it's not the, the uh, broadcaster's job to put that right but it is the broadcaster's job i think to report that because if you don't oh, you'll you'll come back to the point and it may i mean it's what happened in america yeah. which is why we're probably going to see trump again a huge chunk of the population lost faith with the government system yeah and look where that leads yeah yeah that's somewhere you really don't want to go yeah so <laughs> i think that's 
these are these are emotional topics that have an immediate connection to that left right spectrum which is completely at this stage i think um doesn't it's it's not well it's most not people helpful. don't know what it means anyway it's not helpful yeah but um i was interested i was listening to a debate on housing and uh, i heard me on martin's interview on it, over the weekend and housing comes up regularly and mm. uh you know what's happening in terms of the housing numbers and the the targets that have been set and for delivering against the targets. I think in a nutshell, I'm open to be corrected, but um, the targets are largely being hit, but social housing and affordable housing is is, is suffering along the way. And there's, there's a whole lot of variables and, and, and factors why that is the case. What irritates me about the media reporting on this is that they somehow feel it's important for us to connect the issue of housing with an individual's story. Yeah. And oh, I always do that. I, 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 I felt like it's it's as though we can't make the connection between the problem that a undersupply of housing has in in a country like Ireland, the problem, the human problems that that creates, mm. and so therefore a lot of time and effort is spent to try and bring those human problems to to light. Now, again, I'm not I'm not undermining that. But that's instead of us having a real discussion about root cause and the kind of responses that we need to put in place to to resolve this, for which I would doubt there's an ideological difference. Probably you know, not. Deep down, I doubt there's an ideological difference. So this this idea of us focusing in to try and, again, I, I feel it's sort of somehow a little bit patronising. It's almost like you're sitting at home watching this TV program, and in order for you to really understand the issue of housing, we're going to show you specific situations of individuals who are going through dreadful times in terms of having to live in hotels with their kids. And, and, and yes, of course. You know, but, but it's as though we don't get that. And I, I, I could be criticised for this. I think there's too much of that and not enough of... So then the politician gets asked, you know, we've just looked at Mary's situation there, um, and the politician is trying to put forward some kind of reasonable response. And the question is, well, what are you doing for Mary? Look at Mary, the situation Mary's in. What are you going to do for Mary? Mm. And, and some might argue that's robust questioning. No, that's, that's, that's cheap and easy journalism. It is a little bit, isn't it? Uh, and if you know, I mean, it's creeping in. It's, it is. You don't need to think about any of that. Mm. If you ask the politician, what do you think are the sorts of policies the government should introduce to help combat this issue? That's a different question. Yeah. And you'd get a very different answer. Yeah. Um, and that's what they should be doing. I mean, of course they have a role to to hold, um, uh, well, anybody in power to mm. to account. That's what they do. That's why mm. we have it, uh, that sort of broadcasting organisation. But I do think, no, I do think they, they, I still think that they're infected a bit with this groupthink stuff I was talking about earlier on. Um, well, th- that that's that's a kind of a that's a lack of impartiality that starts to become, as you describe it, as groupthink. Um, but there's another deeper problem as well, which is this whole thing of fact. Groupthink was a word dreamt up by George Orwell as well. Well, I, it was it was a him, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just I just put that in. Yeah. Um, there's another issue which is just basic, you know, um, misleading or or deliberately misleading information presented as facts and uh, again coming into election years we know that that type of strategy was deployed in the US elections in the Brexit election yeah yeah um and well, it's deployed in nearly every election to be honest yeah but maybe more to more extent in 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 the US and in in Brexit so you can brace yourself that it's going to come back again and again as to what to do about that um so there's an electoral commission in Australia that is actually uh, established to. They have a, a website that they they've got lots of people working for them, but they will check facts and they will put them up onto the website. I heard the interview with the, I suppose CEO or or whoever heads that up. And again, he, he you know you find yourself walking that line of well, when does it become editorial? When when yeah. when does 
when does the impartiality get tested? Um, we've spoken before about about climate uh, change and and mm. the science behind that. Um, and I'm sure you know any impartial evaluation of that would have mountains of data to support two conflicting arguments. Yeah, I think that that's that's true. I mean, because I mean, we are all uh, completely obsessed by data, and we don't. So one of the key points, so Kieran, is that we don't spend enough time testing it and finding out where it's come from. Mm. Because um, <clears throat> I don't always do this, I must say, but I try. If someone says, you know, oh, it's a fact that forty um, percent of children are currently heroin addicts. Mm. Now you say, well, that can't be bloody true. It is. It is. You know, I read it in the Times last week in the in an mm. editorial, and you really do have to not just people like me who listen to it and think, I wonder if that's true. The people who are actually peddling that sort of stupidity mm. need to understand a everything you read in the papers is not true. It's about as true as the Beano and the Dandy, to be honest, most of the time. And b drill down and find out where the bloody data comes from and that's why in the um climate change debate i very much uh, admire that bloke whose name i can never remember but i was about to quote uh he is you know an ecological campaigner mm. um believes in global warming and so on mm. but he believes that what we're doing is yeah. completely wrong yeah that he's gone the wrong way completely and he the reason i i admire him is that he puts Everything into um, he puts the, the the references in everything he writes. Yeah, you know, I wrote yeah. this, and it means that, and and that sort of thing. Now, hang on, I'm gonna Bjorn Lomberg. That's him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he had a fantastic article in the um, Telegraph last the Sunday Telegraph last week. Yeah. Uh, very, very good. And basically, what he was saying, and he comes at it. Not from the sort of stupid arguments that say, you know, sea level is rising by 40 metres a year or isn't rising at all or whatever. He comes at it from the point of view that says, well, okay, look, let's just accept that there are some effects of climate change. Mm. And what do we do in terms of cost-benefit analysis mm. before we decide to um, do something? And the answer is not enough. Mm. Mm. Um, because again, the group thing, groupthink thing has taken over again. Mm. So in England, everybody's been pushed to um, take on these air, hey. whatever they're called, heaters, the yeah. external compressor things. And there are very, very serious questions about how well they work, mm. or indeed if they do work. <laughs> there's this. The, the big thing, and this should have been my moan, actually, there's the Germans stop using nuclear power, which is one of the most obvious ways of avoiding mm. Mm. the uh, carbon issues. Um, in the UK, I've been banging on for ages now about how <coughs> Rolls-Royce have got these fantastic little generators. generators. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the government was on the edge of approving a big policy to push them out into the country mm. widely. They decided that they wanted to um <coughs> they wanted to go out to tender. And there was actually it's an English firm, although they're based largely in France. Um well suddenly there was a, a, a specific term in the uh can't, I'll have to look it up again to find out what it was. A specific term in the contract documentation that meant that probably only the largest concerns could um, could have competed. Win the contract, yeah, yeah. With the result that this company pulled out altogether, and they were using these Rolls-Royce generators, and so they're now not going to. They've instead set up a formal process in France and Germany where they will start running it out. And I thought... How the hell did that happen? Mm. This is a, a technology that Britain was in the forefront of. And through the application of various bits of 
<laughs> civil service stupidity, but also the fact that I think there's a lot of people in the civil service who don't like the idea that the the solutions they've already given are actually not very good. So they bring um, their their lack of impartiality into the decision making. Um, oh, I think so. I think that so. What about time. what about? I mean, there's a couple of things here. The first thing is that when you get somebody saying to you, you know, something ridiculous like what was your example? Forty percent of all kids are heroin addicts. Yeah. Um, they may not be bad actors. They're probably just. That's, on, that's only true in Liverpool, of course. <laughs> I can imagine members of your family well, throwing well, things well, at me now. <laughs> well, that was a joke, Liverpool people. I didn't really mean it. Um, they they may not be actually be bad actors. They're, they're probably just gobshites. So we then so we have a lot of that, don't we? We have a lot of these people who are who are peddling this misinformation, but they're doing it. They're just they're gobshites because they believe something that they shouldn't believe. Yeah. Um, and then we have the bad actors who are very very deliberately peddling information that they know to be false, but they're lining that up against the particular agenda, which typically it could be it could be about lobbying in a particular industry or it could be political. Yeah. Um how do we like given the volume of data and information that's out there, how do you assess everything in a manner that's impartial and at the same time make sure people have access to that information in a way. Well, I think, I think, I mean, one of the bad actors in my view is the BBC, I have to say, in, in lots of different areas. But mm. actually, they are the ones who've got the responsibility to do something about it because we can't individually take on the world. Mm. Uh, but someone like the BBC, like other major news organisations, like major educational institutions, they can. And it brings me back a bit to what I was talking about last week, which was the sort of historical um, belief in service. values and service and mm. so on. And, and that we haven't got there. We've lost that in, in public mm. discourse these days. And perhaps we've got to go back to something like that. We've got to go back to the idea that, we are all servants of the community in one way or another, not of the government. The government's right. just an employer. We are the servants of a community. We have to get away from this idea that um, governments do everything because when they do, they don't do it right anyway. So, And, and, and um, do we feel under pressure to have an opinion on everything? Is that, yeah. is that part of this, that we feel there's a pressure on to have an opinion, social pressure sometimes, to have an opinion and to be quite emphatic in your opinion? Mm, so is, yeah. we again we've talked about this we lose the art of a conversation informing us or discussion informing us absolutely uh, yeah. on on how to hold a particular viewpoint instead we have to be very definite on where we stand on on, on matters um i don't know where that yes i think that's true i mean uh, but you see when you come from families like ours as as most people do that is part of the process that used to happen, you know, around the tea table or in the yeah. pub or wherever. You'd have people arguing. I mean, I remember, God knows I've argued with you in both those places many, many, many times. Yeah. Um, and that's where the corners get knocked off. Yeah. That's where you suddenly, you may not admit it at the time, but where you realise, oh, hang on a minute, you might have had a point there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And so on. I don't think that happens now because kids and their parents have got their noses stuck into devices hmm. and it's all very isolated. I mean, I, it's funny actually because one of my daughters now insists if we ever all sit down to a meal together, she says, no politics because okay. it always turns into a row. Now, it's not a row row. It's a, it's a, it's a discussion. It's a strong discussion row, you know, hmm. where we're all still friends afterwards. Hmm. But, um, a lot of people don't. My mum was the same. She hated it. She didn't. Yeah, she, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but, but like it, it never got uh, sitting in your father's sitting room on a Saturday afternoon. Um, and even when Dave was there and folk yeah. were, it never got heated. We, 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 we fought to, to be able to, you know, get our contributions in, mm. but it was, and we disagreed. Yeah. But it was respectful, wasn't it? I never yeah. remember. I never remember anybody getting. Oh no, 
I mean, I think people could get um, heated. Yeah. But not personally heated. It no, no, what, yeah, you're passionate. The phrase they yeah, use yeah. now is, is ad hominem. I mean, you didn't start abusing other people yeah, because yeah. of what they were saying. Yeah. But you would say, well, you know, that's mm. not bloody right. Well, where, what about this? What about that? Yeah. Well, I don't think that's true. And you think you can go on like that. Yeah. And you do. And that's that's how you learn. That's how you. So, so I, I think we should it, push that. I wonder is that something that media could embrace? Um, because it could actually be riveting television as well, or radio, yeah. if you can actually get people to come in with different viewpoints. But uh, you know, different viewpoints, but some flexibility. You know, some some. Well, you need. A, I mean, one of the things when I was at school, we were all taught every now and again in different lessons, there'd be a debate, mm. and the teacher would say, "Right now, the topic is whatever it was." Mm. And I want you to prepare no more than two minutes mm. of a speech, and then he'd come round to us. Are they uh, are the four or against? You, you're free to choose which one you want to do, mm. and they come round to us one at a time. Yeah, you should leave me till last because you knew I'd go on forever. Yeah, but um, and just say, what do you think? Yeah. What do you think? And every now and again, he'd say, Do you reckon that's true? What about X? What about Y? Have you thought yeah. about that? You know. And that was brilliant stuff. And it teaches you how to we're, seminars at university yeah. were like that. You know, you'd you'd get you have to read your essay out. And other people would either start giggling or throwing things at you or saying that's a load of rubbish or whatever. And you had to hold your corner. Um I I I, I think I agree with you completely. And I think there is a huge opportunity for education to introduce that kind of critical thinking and 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 discussion mm. and um, but I think the world has got to a point now where people get to a certain age and it's almost um, it's almost associated with their personal brand that they have a particular position mm. and a, a particular way of looking at things. And it's very hard to move them off that. Um, and, and how they've got there is not not the way you've described quite often. Um, well, it but doesn't it, yeah, happen the, like that now. No, I agree. I agree. The most part. Yeah. And um, there definitely is a a scope for some, you know, media outlets to start thinking about this. The other thing that I, I I keep coming back to when we talk about media now, notwithstanding the public broadcast organisations, RT and BBC, the economics of media is incredibly difficult, mm. very very difficult. Mm. So if you're an independent commercial media organisation, you have two sources of revenue. Either people are going to buy content, they're going to pay to access your content. Yeah. Where advertisers are going to pay to be associated with your content and to connect to your audience. Very few people are now paying for content. Mm. And uh, advertising has gone, you know, very, very competitive and with things like programmatic advertising. Um, it's, you know, it's 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 all about not necessarily the quality of the audience, but the quantity of the audience. So how many eyeballs are going to see this? Um, and it can be very difficult to have a commercial, successful commercial media organization that is solely that, as in that's that's what they do. A lot of them are trying to branch out to do other things, but it's solely that and and for it to be profitable and sufficiently profitable for you to, you know, be able to reinvest. Or, you know, pay some shareholder dividends. Um, and if that's not economically viable, then we're going to rely solely on the public broadcasters. And we have know we've problems there and, and even problems about how, how they're financed. Mm. So I wonder if there's something as well that governments can do that would... Um, well, I think, it, yeah, I think we, we mentioned it earlier on, which is education. But even supporting media education, even supporting media outlets, even commercial media outlets, that they get some kind of level of support. I don't know. Mm. I'm not sure if that will work. Well, I mean, government are huge advertisers. Government through a lot True. of communications are trying to impress upon people, you know, to register to vote to you know during COVID. Um, not all of that went out across all the media outlets. And and, and mm. certainly print lost out a lot on that. Yeah. So 
It's not very effective. <clears throat> there are things that they can do or could do that might help or might support. But without, but, you know, I'm I'm always worried about. I know, I know the government doing that. I mean, I'd be quite happy with them to produce the sort of framework within which individuals could operate. Mm. Whatever. Yeah, I don't have a problem. I'm not quite sure how that will work, but. Um, I don't like the government actually putting forward what you want to be saying. I, well, I, I don't think they can have any editorial influence, but and shouldn't have, obviously have any editorial influence. But um, yeah, look, it's it's. The, the, I think the problem, like like some of the other problems we talk about, is that like the hate speech uh, legislation, you know, that we come up with this tension. Uh, in the hate speech, it's between we recognise that something is illegal or would be illegal and is is wrong, especially if it, it hurts somebody. Um, and yet there's a constitutional right to free speech. So there's a tension there straight away. And here we have a tension between the ability to access fact-based information and that's not commercially viable so then we look at the government to maybe support that. And then we go, oh, no, government get involved in those things. Look at all the problems that can create. So it's almost like these unresolvable or these competing priorities that meet. And I don't know, we have to we have to make a call on a judgment call on well, which one, which one is the one that we are going to prioritize? Are we in the hate speech going to prioritize that we will introduce legislation? And yes, it will conflict with the constitutional right for free speech mm. and are we going to do something at a government level to support independent journalism and yes there is a scary thing about governments having any influence there might, there might, over. Might be a, yeah i can see that there, there might be a role for the constitution in ireland in mm. terms of promoting free speech somehow mm. Mm. I, I can't immediately think how but that would be a sort of framework that you could use to, I don't know, how it would work. I, but. I think the Constitution is clear on, on, on free speech. Irish Constitution. It was clear on free speech, yeah. Just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so just just to wrap this up a little bit and coming back to, um, I, I, I notice as well, so, so you know, when, when you refer to the newspapers or where you access your, information yeah. you regularly reference the telegraph and, and you regularly reference the spectator mm-hmm. so in the world we're in at the moment people would form a view on you because you access the telegraph and because you yes, access would. the spectator and i if, don't only read those i must say but they're the ones i regularly read no i know but you know the point i'm making yes i do um and and similarly i don't know what what, what is there other than the Guardian at the moment? I mean, what, what's the well, there's the Observer, that? which is actually the Guardian on Sunday, right. um, and right. the New Statesman. Okay, so of all of those, you know, only two make a profit. Right, right. Which, which two? Is Telegraph and the Spectator. Okay, okay. That's why the Telegraph's being taken over. There's the Arabs on it because it actually makes money. Yeah, that's a problem as well, isn't it? That's another thing we haven't touched on. That might be a, a future. Ownership. Because there's yeah. an interesting point there about, which we touched on before with, with Murdoch and co, but there is an issue about, you know, supranational ownership of news yeah. media, I think. there's Especially yeah. when it's a country, effectively, who's buying up newspapers. That's a, yeah. You know, I'm not happy with that. No, well, we do see billionaires on and some of the big media brands. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's yeah. the only ones who can afford to buy them. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, not sure that we we bottomed that out, but always a good conversation. Um, no mm-hmm. doubt we pick it up again. Uh, and don't forget as well, we do have something that we should just tease out a little bit. We have a, a, a referendum on constitutional change. In, yes, in this the summer. The children's one. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm not sure how it's been framed, but no, no, no. I don't know um, quite what it's about. Yeah. So it's this reference in the constitution that. Um, I'm paraphrasing that uh, women, is it say women or mothers? I'm not sure. I think it says um, mothers, doesn't it? Mothers, yeah, that they can, they should be able to. I think it, 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 there is an aspiration that they can work from home and not feel under economic pressure that would conflict with their 
motherly duties. Now I'm sure I got that wrong, but you get the, the general trend of it. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, just I'm interested in the way in which this has been framed as a discussion and something again I'm sure that we pick up on in future pods. Be interesting when the wording comes out. Mm, we'll definitely. See. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, my man, I've gone flying over to your. Oh, uh, no, you're going, you're going over to London. I when are you coming back? London. I'm coming back on Wednesday night. Um, oh, well, so no, so no, no, for the day, really. Two days, two days training, Tuesday and Wednesday. So back Wednesday night. Um, so you see that Aer Lingus are going to cancel their service to Gatwick. Are they? Mm-hmm. All together? Mm-hmm. From the end of March. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, I've never used that one, yeah. but I, I never use Ryanair now if I can avoid it. Well, I, I have no choice if I'm going to. Well, that's the trouble. It depends yeah. where you're going. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I would say though that they're they are more reliable. They do turn turn things their planes around faster. Um, they do, yeah. But if it goes wrong, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. you're you're smashing your head against a brick wall trying to get anything to change with them. Yeah, I, I, I much prefer Aerlingus. Perhaps it's just because I'm old fashioned. Yeah, surely um, not. Old fashioned, old fashioned. Me? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> with with that sense of dress sense, <laughs> I thought this was good. Actually, That's the same right. the same way people can't see us. This yeah. is my relaxed, relaxed billionaire yeah. at home outfit. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm very cold. I've uh, yeah, you got to go and catch a plane. I'd say hello to Ireland London for you, and we'll chat next week. Jolly good. See you. You then. mind yourself. Take care. Cheers. All the best. See ya. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to keep up to date with us, then go to our main homepage on Spotify and press the notification bell or the follow button. Then, up to date, you will be kept. This podcast is a production by Artificial Hipsters. Thank you.